Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Battleground, coming to you from the heart of Sydney today, from Martin Place, where a large crowd is gathering for what we expect to be the largest protest against renewable energy yet held here in New South Wales. People have come from all over New South Wales and from Queensland, from Victoria, right around, up and down the country, each of these from communities fighting their own particular battle against big energy, against wind, solar or water developments. It's, uh, it's quite an atmosphere here. We'll be bringing you more of that later. Also tonight, I'll be crossing to New Zealand to talk to Oliver Hartwich about the newly formed New Zealand government and the challenges they face. That's all coming up on Battleground here on ADH TV, which streams every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Or you can watch it on demand at adh.tv on YouTube or for the full viewing experience, download the ADH TV app on your smartphone or smart TV. And we're saying, Chris Bowen, get off our land. You are We've heard people saying, okay, 250 metres high. Well, I want you to get a mental picture of what 250 metres high looks like. You've all seen Barangaroo, okay? That is the size of these wind turbines that they want to put next to our homes, next to where we work. getting bigger. We are pissed off. Can I just say, we are normally very quiet, calm people. We are busy looking after our land. We are busy putting food on people's tables. This is war. 
We know there is environmental concerns, no matter which way you cut it. We know the chemicals that are in solar panels. We know the chemicals that are in these offshore wind farm turbines. We know they're not recyclable. Just because you call something renewable doesn't mean it's green. Just because you call something renewable doesn't mean we give it a free pass. Just because you call something renewable doesn't mean you can tread on the rights of private property owners and people in this, in this country. So we know these projects have fleas all over it. Right now, I've been raising in Parliament, quite simply, that these projects, no matter how they're built, the current ones and the ones coming down the line, they cannot be built without being on the back of modern slavery. Now, one of these, one of these other bills that was passed in Parliament last couple of years. This idea that we shouldn't be building stuff off the back of modern slavery and treating workers, whether they're in our country or overseas, terribly. Well, there is no way that these projects can be built without being on the back of modern slavery. I've asked the Parliamentary Library to do research and they've come back and told me 80 to 95% of the materials that are in our solar panels and our wind turbines are coming from either the Democratic Republic of Congo where they're using child labour or the internment camps in China. So, both the state Labor government and the state Liberal government, because rest assured they're on a, a unity ticket on this, they're prepared to break their own principles and break their own laws around modern slavery to, ship, to ram this renewable garbage down our throat. That's what they're prepared to do. They're prepared to break their own laws and principles to ram this down. That's how keen they are. Anybody that's been dealing with this for the last two, three, five years, 15 years, um, knows that feeling of dealing with the government and bureaucracy. It just seems to be like they say black is white, they change the rules, they move the goalposts, and um, you just shake your head and wonder how they can be so detached from reality when we're out there, you know, we, we doing what we have to do to make a living and um, creating real stuff, and everything seems to be um, a fairyland. And that gets me, you know, to where we are today and things like this, fairyland. We've got the integrated strategic plan, if anybody's read it. This isn't all of it. but. I don't know who designed this. I mean, it's Nirvana, it's Fairyland. It can't be achieved. It's, it's black as white. We don't have the resources. We don't have the money. But that is what all the governments are marching to. And I don't know whether it was ever debated in Parliament. They talked about it at COAG. But had we ever heard of it before it's on our doorstep? Did anyone... No. Did, did anyone analyse it and say, this doesn't make any sense? We can't build this. It's, it's just utopian Nirvana for people that have no idea. And so, you know, this is what we've got to get rid of. And the other layer on that is this. This is the GenCost, GenCost report. You might have heard of that. It's copped a bit of flack, and rightly so. So you get the August institution of the CSIRO produce a report about the cost of transition and leaves out most of the cost of transitioning. So how does that inform an intelligent decision? I mean, I don't know what's happening in the halls of parliament down there and elsewhere around the country. Do they actually understand what this says or do they just get advised that it's all good? Um, and, and if you point out that it's not all good, that it's full of flaws, do they then amend 
their thoughts? Do they then amend the legislation? Or do they just keep charging on, black is white, it's all good, you know, wind turbines are green, etc. So that goes in the bin as well. Glenda, hold up your sign so everybody can see it. Mary, last time I heard of the Mary River, you were campaigning against the Traveston Dam, which was going to have a, a devastating effect on the local wildlife. You won that battle, right? We did. We overturned that decision to dam the Mary River at Traveston Crossing. It was an awesome, awesome uh, effort from a, a group of dedicated people to protect this river. And that was a Labor government, again, who, who recognised, saw actually give Peter Garrett his due. He actually saw the benefit of preserving the Mary River, but the current government may go ahead with this new scheme, which will do terrible damage. It will do terrible damage to our environment, our social fabric, you know, regional communities, uh, and there's, there's energy experts that are coming out and saying there's better alternatives that are cheaper, far less risk. Exactly. And just, just describe what, what, how big this new pumped hydro scheme is and the damage that it'll cause to that part of the world. It's, the proposal is to build another wall downstream of the existing wall of Barumba, increase the volume by up to six times, take the height up another 20 metres. The proposal will end it, it, inundate threatened ecological communities. We've got subtropical rainforests that would be lost, put at risk things like the cops and fig parrot. Um, the Australian lungfish, the well, thank you. River. Thank you for coming all the way down here and you can see you've got a lot of friends on your side here. Absolutely, this is lovely to see such encouragement and we've got to get the message out that renewable energy's transition has to be changed, it has to be looked at very carefully. The cumulative impacts are huge of not only um, pumped hydro, but we're talking industrial size solar farms. It's like a big industrial estate. Absolutely. Absolutely. I better grab some of these other people and talk, but good Lovely luck. To Thank you. you. Tony, you, you, I just spoke to a lady all the way down from the Mary River in Queensland. You're not quite so far, you're from Goulburn. Yeah, no, that's right, Nick. Yeah, yeah, just we've, down for the day. We've been out and reported on the proposed Gundry Plains uh, solar farm before, but it's huge, isn't it, what they're going to do? Oh, look, it's absolutely enormous. You know, one and a half million panels by the time it's all finished, taking up 3,000 acres and it's just going to impact the community in the most shocking way, not to mention the transmission lines that are going to be required to go with it. Do you feel you're getting a fair hearing? Well, no, no, because uh, the government's just not uh, interested in listening to any alternate method of uh, energy production. We used to have the cheapest energy in the world, and I think we can again if we, if we do it sensibly and talk sensibly about uh, the options. But they're not interested in talking at all. Good. Thank you very much, and thanks for coming down. Thanks, Nick. You're fighting, the, you're fighting this big wind offshore farms. wind, yeah, right? Yeah, oh, mate, these things are... They're not only unsightly, but they're going to be causing so much damage to our marine environment, especially things like whales and the like, you know. Um, we destroyed the land, now we went to try and destroy the water with these ugly looking things. There's got to be another solution, you know, to give us the clean energy that we need. 
not pollute the waters and the land with these type of structures. You don't look like the sort of guy who normally turns out to demonstrations. It, 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 it. No, I don't. Um, but this one was a no-brainer. I had to attend this. I love the ocean and um, it means so much to me, our marine life. I mean, there's never been more whales than there are now. You know, and um, when I was asked to be a part of this today, I'm an ex-councillor from Rowing City Council, an independent. I was so proud to be a part, so thank you. Terrific, thank you. The Mile Coast. Yes, we're Hawksmiths. You're, you're fighting this massive offshore winds proposal as well. Yes, we are. Um, we believe in renewables, but we believe the way the current government is rolling out, this is failing to listen to communities, failing to take into account years of conservation. We can do this better than how we're doing it now. So, Just get that clear. You're not against uh, renewables. You're not against you know, reducing our emissions. No, not at all. No, not at all. We're against renewables that are rolled out recklessly, that is ill-considered policy for a wicked problem that needs far more informed solutions. There are lots of places in Australia, lots of different ways of doing renewables, and we've just roller-coasted this through. I think the, uh, the Newcastle Offshore Wind Project is adjacent to the only breeding ground of Gould's Petrel in Australia, or in the world, and we're building a wind farm between their breeding ground and their feeding ground and we've had 50 years of conservation to bring the petrels back from the brink of extinction and we will kill them in 20 years. It's, uh, it's a travesty and it's a, a denial of all of the hard work that conservationists have put into saving this species uh, and it's just not appropriate. How angry are people up there? Do you think it could, um, could, it, could it affect the next election? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Our local state member is in deep trouble. <laughs> yeah, 100%. We had we had our own rally there. We're only a very small community. We get none of the jobs and none of the power. And we had our own rally and, no, change the government. Or get a government that exercises common sense and listens to their people. Good on you. Thank you. So you're from Mudgee, you guys. Introduce yourself. Uh, Pam Bowman from Dunny Doo. And I'm Terry Conn from Mudgee, uh, on the outskirts. Um, and our farms are totally uh, being inundated with new renewable energy projects, including wind and solar, pumped hydro, big batteries, the whole works. Um, the consultation process is uh, just unworkable. Um, it's very... Uh, Disappointing to see how the state governments and the federal governments have combined together to uh, beat up on us. Uh, currently under siege in the central west. It, it's a massive. I mean, we all know what a beautiful part of the world that is. Mudgee and Golgong. It's right. it's it, and a beautiful wineries and country. That's the, if if the plans go ahead, that's just going to be transformed. Isn't it? Absolutely ruination. Uh, we think that the city people should be taking a little bit more responsibility with solar panels on the roofs of their houses. Uh, we've checked out... Um, yeah, the, and just, they're not there. Um, we're just uh, thinking that we've, we've just got to get some help for our farmland. We're, we're trying to produce food and fibre, and we, if we're trying to feed the country, we can't do it if we're having this country covered in panels and solar turbines, wind turbines. What we're really angry about, Nick, is that we understand the whole damn thing won't work. Um, and to destroy the culture that we've got in the Central West, for example, 
uh, with First Peoples uh, area settled after Blackland, Wentworth and Lawson across the Blue Mountains and uh, our culture out there has developed ever since then and it's been destroyed by this nonsense and there's no recognition of the fact it's valuable. Can't get it through to people in the city that we're not a factory space. It's, it's, a, it's a totally connected biodiverse system um, and, and everything works off each other. You plonk these wind turbines, solar panels and all these things in the middle. You ruin all the tracks with all the traffic involved, the whole bit, and it's for nothing. We've, we've studied the whole business of renewables right around the world and they cannot justify what they're doing. We're not an economic zone that needs any assistance. Um, well, good luck what you're doing and thanks for coming down today. Thank you. <laughs> you're the man. <laughs> but 100% renewable energy is not the solution. The reason why I'm here is um, I witnessed the very first industrial wind farm in Queensland, which is the Mount Emerald Wind Farm, just west of Cairns. And I was a firm believer that, that this wind farm was going to uh, you know, mitigate climate action. Um, it was proposed by politicians and the proponents that it would deliver power to 70,000 homes. So I thought it was a good thing. But now that it has been built and we look at the data, it actually runs at only 18.1% capacity factor. If you look at the entire year for 2022, it didn't run for 63 days consecutive, um, cumulatively. It doesn't deliver the electricity that is being promised. It's a scam. So after witnessing Mount Emerald Wind Farm, which was home for this, the, one of the best populations of northern quolls, five endangered plant species that we thought was okay to sacrifice for this wind farm, we now got the Caban Wind Farm, the Shalumban Wind Farm, the Upper Burdekin Wind Farm, the Mount Fox Energy Park, High Road Wind Farm, uh, an upgrade of the Windy Hill Wind Farm, Moonlight Range Wind Farm, um, uh, Mower Creek Wind Farm, Lotus Creek Wind Farm, Clark Creek Wind Farm. We've actually got 95 wind farms proposed for the Great Dividing Range of Queensland. That includes solar. You have to remember that these renewable energy projects, are, they're basically exempt from all the environmental controls that apply to every other land owner and, and manufacturer or mining company. The wind farm industry exempt is exempt from the Nature Conservation Act, the Vegetation Management Act, and also from the reef regulations. So what we're seeing is entire mountain tops and ridgelines being blasted away with no erosion control, no sediment control, nothing, because they're exempt. Disgusting! Yeah. But these, uh, these masterminds across the road, they really, oh, they only been there for nine months. They really, really believe that if they shuffle around a few pieces of paper in that building over there, and they throw out a bit of money here and there, that they'll change the weather. They really believe it. And it is, um, <coughs> it is, it, it, it is a, a mass delusion. Now, the good news is that there's, there is one thing on our side, and that is called objective reality. Grant, 
Piper is the chairman of the National Rational Energy Network and the organiser of this event. You must be pretty pleased the way it's gone. Yeah, I'm very happy with the way it turned out. I've, yeah, it's been weeks, months, we've had weekly planning meetings and we've had the communities from the coast and north and south. And, um, you know, it, it's a dodgy thing getting all these groups together because everyone's at a different stage of the journey. And, but we're all under the, under the pump for the same reasons. And, and, and these, these are working people, a lot of them, right? So that it's, not a, it's not a small thing for them to, you know, come, yeah. in, come into the city from, you know, all over the place for this. Well, to get in here, it's fairly... Well, it's, it's not so bad, but it is inaccessible to us. I mean, I haven't lived here since the mid-'80s, and um, driving in this morning with my truck in the traffic and trying to find my way around, I mean, it is... And getting, you know, three hours' travel from Lithgow on the train. Some people drove to Lithgow to jump on the train. Others trained from um, Newcastle otherwise to drive and it is and parking it's a hell of a problem for for country people to come to their capital and do this sort of thing you, you get the impression we're winning are people in the city becoming aware that this is a problem look i think it's spreading it's probably pushed mostly by power prices and the immediate problems there and so that's that's something that more people are looking at it and wanting to know why and maybe you know they can see that we can help them you know again travel that journey everyone's got to start somewhere but yeah, I think there's a bit of momentum building and, um, and the power prices and the cost of living are certainly helping that. Communities, new communities coming surfacing all the time, isn't there? They've just discovered that something's happening. We just really have no idea how many communities are affected. Well, no, they keep it quiet. You never see it on the news. They don't advertise the fact that a town's being overbuilt with wind turbines. We've got 330 around our town planned. Um, we had a list of 330 turbines, 250 metre turbines around the town of Kula, a, a town of less than a thousand people. And we had a list here, an honour roll, if you like. I think we had 50 um, community groups and something like 80 or, or over 100 projects in the few that we could contact in the last couple of weeks from the, you know, from Cape York down to mm. Cape Otway. You know, there's hundreds of little community groups all fighting the same thing that have had, you know, the first they hear about it is a consultation meeting after they've signed up hosts and they sell it as a fait accompli and the government's got their back. And look, I, I sense that people were really encouraged today to be with other people. Yeah, well, we're isolated. I mean, it took me five hours to drive here and, and for me to go to Armidale, the underground the inquiry last year was, was a five and a half hour drive. So it, it, democracy isn't accessible and the people accountable, or people that should be accountable, they're not accessible. They don't come in front of us. They're, they're afraid to go west of the ranges because we're scary, which is the way it should be. But if they just left us alone, we'd be much better off and just stop doing stupid things that make life harder for ordinary people. I mean, we're working, we're producing stuff, and we just don't need this stuff thrown at us all now, the time. Anybody wants to get in touch with you, get on your mailing list, be part of this, what's the best way yeah, to do that? Well, we've got a Facebook page, is National Rational Energy Network, go there, or my email is nrenchair.chair at gmail.com. Or just, just search us, you'll find us, or find your local group and they will find us. National Rational Energy. National Energy, Rational Energy Network. Don't forget that. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Good stuff. Nice, nice to see you, guys. All right, thanks, Nick. There'll be more from the Sydney rally again in a moment, but first I want to play you a video that went viral on the internet. It's by a young Victorian called Eleanor Parry, and um, take it away, Eleanor.
that's quite a video you produced. How long did it take you to do it? It took about, probably all up about three weeks. It took us about a week to re-word uh, the lyrics and then we had to get it done within three weeks because the canola crop was actually going to go brown so it wouldn't have looked as fancy and nice as it did. So about three weeks and we had rewritten it, filmed it and then got into the editing. So, yeah. And what's the reaction been? The reaction's been really positive. It's been overwhelming. So we've had a lot of support from our country, um, family and friends, communities. It's, it's stemmed out to the cities and then it's gone Australia-wide. We've had people reach out from uh, communities up in Queensland, New South Wales, uh, with the same issue. So it's really raised my awareness. This is just not our one little problem. This is an Australian-wide issue. So the support has just been phenomenal. You know, the funny thing is when I think about it, that, that song when it first came out was, was pro-environment. It was, it was anti um, uh, that stage, I think, pesticides and various things. But now many of those people that would have welcomed that song back then are on the wrong side on this argument. They're actually supporting the transmission lines and the renewables. That's it. I think, I think it's a, it would be they're misinformed. So we are not anti-environment, we are pro-environment. We are just seeing the destruction that these renewables are going to be doing. And it's our job to educate all of society that are a product of their of, of the information that is being sold to them by, by the governments, by the media. So it's our job to educate them on what's going on because we are pro-environment. And the more that people wake up and see that, the more power we have to stop this. Now, Tell us about where you come from and you, what's happening in your town and why you were so motivated to put this song together. So this came from the feeling. So we were in a massive path, which was a the width of 50 kilometres, and it went through all of um, a certain part of Victoria. Our beautiful family farm was in that path at that time. So we were directly affected. So we didn't want it. A lot of people that we knew didn't want it. So we had the idea to do a song to raise the awareness so we we could do something different that wasn't a protest that wasn't um, people talking about scholarly articles it was putting words and feelings into a song a well-known song changing the lyrics to make it relatable to our own situation and then putting it out there so that's why it all came from because we were affected then we put it out a bit early because they narrowed that uh, width down to a two kilometer corridor and conveniently missed uh, the mainstream media cycle so we kind of responded with that straight back on a Sunday night and it's just been amazing so we just wanted to get a conversation happening that we're not happy and we don't want this let's find an option that works for everybody not only are you uh, you're backing a good cause you're a damn good Singer, when can we hear more of you? When's Thank the album you. coming out? Oh well, hopefully, hopefully in the future that'd be. A, it's a great goal, and it's something that I'm wanting to work towards. But um, you can find me on Instagram, Eleanor Parry Music. I've also got a little bit of a Facebook page, and yeah, keep tuned because this is only the beginning. Instagram, Eleanor Parry Music. Instagram, Eleanor Parry Music. Great, fantastic. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an interesting couple of weeks because you probably know that this left-wing Labor Coalition Greens Cabal have just passed the Net Zero Commission and the Net Zero Targets for New South Wales. Um, not good, not good guys. Because it means that they're going to fast track a lot of these renewable projects and that's what the Minister has indicated all week. And for us, 
It means that they're going to cut community consultation, they'll cut opportunities for people in their ability to fight back. Many of you would know that I have argued for some time that Chris Bowen, I believe, is the most dangerous politician this country's had since World War II. Yeah. However, however, days such as this are days for celebration because as a result of what you are protesting about, I believe we will see the end of Bowen and of the Albanese government. Um, the public may not yet understand, though you do, that what they are seeking to do about energy policy in this country is not only unachievable, but utterly destructive. I have called it for many years, way back, when we began all this and everyone wanted to get in love with renewable energy, which is not renewable, it's unreliable, but I argued that this was a national economic suicide note. And it is. And it is. It has, you see, everyone goes on about, everyone goes on about the cost of living, don't they? Now, and they separate that from energy policy, this ridiculous net zero nonsense. Now, energy policy is one of the central components towards the difficulties we're having with cost of living. For example, where we are here today, the microphone, the, there's a piano over there, these things just didn't arrive. They were brought here by trucks, and the trucks were powered by energy, fossil fuel energy. Over 80% of our energy is still coming from fossil fuels, and it will not change. Renewable energy can't power this nation. Now, what, what we're... What, what, what we're... Uh, <laughs> Yes, you can't eat power lines. You're dead right. What, what, <laughs> you people are very clever. I like the bugger off. That's absolutely right. But, but this is the point that I want to make before I go any further. The problem apparently with fossil fuels is that they emit, hence the word emissions, they emit carbon dioxide. Now, Politicians don't even understand any of this because I've asked any number of them and they can't even answer the question. It's not carbon. They talk about carbon reduction schemes. It's not carbon we're reducing. This is carbon dioxide. Now, carbon dioxide, you've got to say this slowly, is 0.04% of the atmosphere. 0.04% of the atmosphere worldwide, all over the world. Now, of that, man-made constitutes 3% of 0.04%. Man-made carbon dioxide. The rest naturally occurs through oceans and everything else. Forget that. Man-made is 3%. Little old Australia down here, down under, is 1.3% of 3% of 0.4%. Where do you want to put the decimal point? And here they are now telling us, here they are now telling us 
This, the mining of coal, the use of coal, the use of fossil fuels is going to create climate change and the climate change will end the world. And as a result, young kids have been brainwashed in classrooms, believe all this sort of stuff, and, and, and the suicide rates are increasing. And teachers are part of all, they march for this nonsense, a march for climate change. Well, I'm telling you, Albo will have his, Albo will have his holidays at Kirribilli House. Well, what he wants to sit on the lawn, as I said last night, on ADH, I hope you all watch us on ADH, sit on the lawn out there and have a look at Pinch Gut, have a look at Pinch Gut Island and see that for the last 70 or 80 years, the level of the water coming and going hasn't even changed. We, we, are, we are the victims of yet another gigantic and enormous hoax, but the cost of this... The cost, and I've been saying this for years, the cost of this is dramatic. I want to repeat before I go any further, and I've asked politicians on my program, as a result of their honesty, I won't name them, but they're in government. And I've said, playing dumb, uh, well, what's, the, what, what's the problem here? Is the, I, I just don't get this climate change thing. I said, what's the problem? Is, is the problem coal? Yeah, fossil fuels. Oh, yeah, right now. What is the problem? Uh, they, no, well, well, is the problem carbon dioxide? Uh, yes, 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 they say. OK, well, listen, just fix me up, because I don't understand. How much carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere such that we've got to sort of stop it because it's causing damage? Hang on. Uh, hello, are you still there? Uh, hello, can I, can I just ask that again? What is the percentage of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? Answer, I don't know. Now here are people, here are people fashioning public policy about a problem that they don't know and can't articulate and yet which is damaging the national economic well-being of this country. And 0.4% of the atmosphere, zero, get this, zero, you've got to tell 0.04% of the atmosphere. Worldwide, mankind creates 3%. In Australia, we are a little 1.3% of 3% of 0.04%. And someone's trying to tell us that we're so stupid that we should believe this is going to cause the end of the world. And it is, it is an at renewable energy, and that's why this is a celebration. Let him go on. He'll do damage along the way. Let him go on with his net zero stuff. Let him go on with his carbon dioxide emission stuff because it will fail and it cannot possibly work. Now, let me tell you, part of this is, part of the, the, part of the plan, well, I put the old phone in the pocket, part of the plan, you can't believe this stuff, you'd think it was fiction. So, in other words, to get to net zero or what they want, 82% of renewables, 82% of renewables by 2030, hey, it's 2024. 80%, that's his 82%, that's his promise, this dope, this dangerous dope Bowen, 82% by 2030. So how's he going to get there? Right, well, he wants 22,500 watt solar panels every day. Every day. 22,000, that's his, he's saying this, not me, 22,000 500 watt solar panels every day between now and 2030. Uh, <laughs> well, hang on. This gentleman down here said, where are they going to go? Let me tell you, 
in productive Queensland, in some of the most productive land in Queensland, they have 9,000 acres stolen from farmers to put in solar panels. 9,000 acres. I mean, who, who, who's, who's going to feed us? Who's going to feed us when your prime agricultural land is absorbed by this nonsense? So that's 22,000 solar panels. Hang on, we're not finished. Because he says, now hang on, then he wants 40, 40 7 megawatt wind turbines, 40 every month. Every month. Where do they go? Oh, and, oh by the way, oh, where do we get them all from? China. China. They're laughing at us. China. So China switches off supply whenever they like and gone are the solar panels and gone are the wind turbines. But then, you see, you've got to get this electricity allegedly generated, this renewable and unreliable electricity generated, you've got to get it to the grid. So how do you do it? Well, he wants 10,000 kilometres of transmission lines. 10,000 kilometres. Now, under New South Wales law, I have to tell you, because this happened with Newcoal, the government can then expropriate land from the farmer for no compensation. For no compensation, they can expropriate the land for no compensation to build these transmission lines. Oh, I tell you what, it won't happen because the farmers are too smart and the farmers, the farmers won't cop it. The farmers won't cop any of this stuff. So that, that's Bowen. That's basically what Bowen is saying he will do. Well, it's got no... It's gone. You see, everyone goes on about energy policy. I can write, I can write a functional energy policy in one sentence. One sentence. Now, you've got to remember this. Tell your kids. The energy has to be firstly available. Then it's got to be reliable. And then it has to be affordable. That's it. Renewable energy is none of them. None of them. None of them. Energy policy requires energy to be available. Wind doesn't blow, sun doesn't shine. I mean, parts of Europe, they have five days in a row of wind drought. And that's why that silly Merkel, she's gone, but she closed down coal fire power stations and she closed down nuclear power stations. We're going to be the renewable energy king of the world. And then they suddenly find they're in all sorts of mess and they're mothballing, getting out of mothballs, coal-fired power stations and trying to resurrect nuclear energy. But you see, this is the point, because it's not available. It's not reliable and it's not affordable. Now, now the opposition have got to get away from Labor policy. They're not going to vote for someone who's Labor light. And here we've been for years chasing around, oh, yes, zero emissions. We believe in zero. We believe in climate change. Tony Abbott said it was crap, and he was absolutely right. So it's one of the great hoaxes. I did a story on that last night on ADH. You can check it by just going to the App Store and see ADH TV. So listen, good luck. All you farmers, I hope you've had some rain. I hope you've had some rain. Who's from farthest away? Anyone from Queensland? Right? Anyone? Uh, Queensland? Kilkeaton, I know, right in the middle of the Shire. I know, absolutely. I've come from there. So who's from Western New South Wales? Good on you. Good on you. Well, hang in. We don't do anything for regional New South Wales. But look, you're on a, you're on a winner here. You're on a winner. Don't apologise for what you're saying, but you've got to talk to the kids. They're being brainwashed. Talk to the kids. Thank you for listening. See, see, Minister Barney, he, he's, he's got trouble hearing. He's got trouble hearing, can't, can't quite hear us. 
and, and I, I, I feel sorry for him, so I'm going to help him out. We're going to Canberra. You're going to tell every one of your kids. You're going to tell every one of your neighbours. You're going to get on Facebook. You're going to be responsible for this. You're just like me. You can do this. You can own the solution to this. You can actually create the power to create the change, to get those offshore wind farms away from Illawarra, away from Port Stephens, out of the New England, out of central Queensland, out of the Gippsland. We're taking this back. I want to also uh, change a bit of the nomenclature around this because you see, these wind factories are the biggest swindle of all time. We are being ripped off like nothing on earth. You know, don't say wind farms anymore. They're not farms. They're not farms. Farms grow potatoes. Farms grow cattle. Farms grow carrots. Farms don't create rusting heaps of garbage out in the middle of the ocean and all over the, all over the landscape. They're not farms. Craig, um, it's good to see you on the right side of the argument again. <laughs> again, Nick, it's uh, funny. It, has, it seems to happen quite frequently. <laughs> so you, you, you're in touch, obviously, with the UAP. You're still involved with the UAP and you talk to a lot of people around the country. How big an issue is this? How big a headache is it for the government that there's such look, a head of steam? Look, firstly, I've been talking about these issues of unreliable intermittent electricity generation and how it's going to force prices up, the problem of closing our coal-fired power stations down. I've been talking about that before I first got elected back in 2010. So this is just a continual battle. Everything that I warned about how electricity prices would go through the roof has happened because we've been forcing through subsidies, these crazy subsidy schemes, this intermittent generation into our grid, which is just doing damage to it. We've closed, we've seen coal fire power stations closed down from the northern down there in South Australia, uh, Liddell here recently in New South Wales, Hazelwood in Victoria. Every time that happens, the prices spike and that's going to happen again with every single coal-fired power station. We continue to close down as we replace them with this uneconomic, environmentally damaging, sort of like intermittent generation. It's good though to see uh, such a good crowd of people from all over the country, not just New South Wales here. I, obviously I think people are getting organised now and this has got to be a headache for the government. Oh look, it does. Look, look where they're building these offshore wind turbines. Down in the Illawarra, which they think is a safe labour seat, and up off Port Stephens, what they also think is a safe labour seat. Now, I think that uh, they may have to reconsider this. Uh, this is a big issue. If you look at some of the photographs of that beautiful south coast of ours, that Illawarra Escarpment, you go down there, it's, it's one of the most magnificent places, not only in Australia, in the world. I regularly go down there, I love the place. To think that they're going to build all these monstrosities offshore and desecrate that place... I think everyone in that Illawarra area is going to wake up and say, we've got to stop this. Do you think Bowen knows what problems he's building here? <laughs> Does he know what day of the week it is? There's a problem with that question. Do you think Bowen knows? Look, look. this is a man who says his arrogance is only surpassed by his ignorance, right? His claim to fame was grocery watch back as competition minister in the Labor government under Kevin Rudd. Then they gave him the job of the boats, 
and immigration. More boats came under his arrival than anyone else. Then almost single-handedly, he lost the 2019 election with his retirees tax, and now he's been promoted in charge of energy. We wonder why he's got everything wrong. Like seriously, you wouldn't let this bloke, you know, run the school tuck shop. And yet he's in charge of Australia's electricity grid, the biggest piece of infrastructure in this nation, and he is destroying the economic viability of it. Good on you, Craig. Good to Thanks, see you again. Thanks. Thanks. More than six weeks after going to the polls, New Zealand finally has a new government. National Party leader Chris Luxon was sworn in as New Zealand's 41st Prime Minister on Monday after 34 days of post-election horse trading to secure a majority in Parliament. It ends six years of Labour government, most of that time under Jacinta Ardern, under which New Zealand's state debt increased to 460 million and the country suffered from one of the most extreme lockdowns in the world. Last year, New Zealand suffered a net migration loss of 13,400 to Australia, up from 5,400 in 2021. I always think that's a rather telling metric when it comes to how happy New Zealanders are. But despite the unpopularity of Labour, Luxon hardly has a resounding mandate. The Nationals were elected with the second lowest vote of any winning party in history, and they were forced to cobble together a coalition with minor parties, including, of course, New Zealand's kingmaker, Winston Peters. Joining me now from Wellington is Dr Oliver Hartwich of the New Zealand Initiative. Oliver, what's the challenge for Chris Luxon and uh, does he have enough political capital to achieve it? Well, the challenge is enormous because there is hardly any area of public policy in New Zealand that isn't in crisis after six years of labour. So basically Luxon has to rebuild the country. Whether he's got enough of a mandate, well, of course, on his own, he couldn't do it, but he's got two coalition partners and altogether they have 68 out of 123 seats in parliament. So that's enough to form a government. And that's what we got this week. As you said, after more than 40 days of horse trading and haggling in coalition negotiations, the parties came together and agreed on two coalition agreements, not just one, two, because uh, National now has separate agreements with the ACT Party and New Zealand First. But when you hold them together, these coalition agreements, actually a picture emerges of a coalition that really knows what it wants to achieve. In the first instance, that is cleaning up the mess left behind by the previous government, but then really move on and renew the country with decent policies to actually help rebuild the country completely, for example, in education. Well, Luxon's an evangelical Christian. He's recognised as social conservative. He supports low taxes, cuts to the Ministry of Social Development, abolishing, uh, oh, sorry, setting up a military-style boot camps for young offenders and introducing stringent anti-gang legislation. It sounds um, good up to that point. What more can you tell me about him? Well, um, Christopher Luxon is an experienced business leader. So he was CEO of Unilever in Canada for many years. He then returned to New Zealand and led our national carrier, Air New Zealand, for a few years. And I actually got to know him over this time because with Air New Zealand, he was a member of um, the New Zealand Initiative. That's the organization that I lead. And so I had the pleasure of traveling with Christopher Luxon to Switzerland and then a few years later to Denmark on business delegations. And that's when we spent time together. And that's when I really got to know him quite well. So he is someone who has very strong management capabilities. 
he says of himself that he's got a special, um, a special um, qualities in turnaround management. And well, that's exactly what's needed, of course, in New Zealand these days. So he comes from a business background. He is a, he's still relatively young and perhaps inexperienced politician because he has become prime minister after just one term in government. And so that's quite an achievement, actually. But he's, of course, um, accompanied in government by some very experienced politicians. So in his cabinet, if you look around at cabinet table, you'll find politicians like Judith Collins, who's been around for nearly 20 years. Winston Peters, of course, first got elected to parliament in 1978. So there are some heavyweights and some really experienced politicians around Luxon. But what Luxon really brings to the table is an understanding of business. And I think um, a deep-seated um, belief in conservative values, and he's got his roots, as you said, in conservative Christianity. And I think it will be quite interesting to watch, actually, how this plays out together. And uh, foreign affairs, we were quite nervous this side of the, uh, the Tasman uh, under Jacinta Ardern, particularly in regards to China. She just didn't seem to understand the seriousness of the situation uh, with China. Do you think we're going to see any substantial change in foreign policy? Well, actually, we'll see a change a little bit because we have the return of Winston Peters. So in the first Ardern government, Peters already was uh, foreign secretary for three years. He then, of course, lost um, his seat in parliament in 2020 and was replaced as foreign minister by Nanaya Mahuta, who had a very different approach to foreign policy altogether, seeing everything from a Maori lens and perhaps also uh, trying to build more bridges to China. Now that Winston Peters is back, in our foreign ministry, um, we will probably see more of uh, an approach towards Australia, towards the United States, towards the other five eyes partners, towards even NATO, because that is the approach that Winston Peters um, to, um, previously took in the previous government. And so I think expect to see more of that. One of the things I think was notable in the last six years has been this increasing marrowification, if that's a word, uh, of, of the New Zealand government and civic system. Uh, it acted as, actually, Oliver, it acted as a wonderful object lesson for people here in Australia, and I think firmed up support for the no vote in the uh, voice to parliament referendum. But, but do you think, uh, I, I see Luxem is not a great fan of this uh, sort of separatism uh, approach. Do you think he has, uh, he has the conviction and, and the commitment to try and roll some of this back, or is it now a permanent feature of New Zealand politics? No, no, this will all be rolled back. You just have to go through the coalition agreements, in particular the one between the National Party and New Zealand First, and what you find there is it will all be rolled back. So ministries, for example, will now have to trade under the English names and not under some Maori names. Um, same goes for any kind of agency like um, the New Zealand Transport Authority, which um, traded under the name of Waka Kotahi under Labour, um, literally a canoe on the road. Um, so this is out. Um, we will also have um, legislation um, removing references to the Treaty of Waitangi in all pieces of legislation where it's not warranted. And so if you go through this coalition agreement, you will see that the Maorification is over and will actually be undone. And that is um, perhaps not so much actually due to um, Christopher Luxon's own ambitions, but really uh, due to the coalition partners and in particular New Zealand First and the ACT Party.
Six years of a very progressive Labor government. Um, a lot of things uh, they did wrong, of course. Can you think of any anything that the Labor government under Jacinta Ardern did right? Is there anything that people will look back and say that was a substantial legacy? Well, I think Jacinda Ardern had her proudest moment probably after the Christchurch massacre. So when the country could have actually fallen apart and uh, when it could have actually fallen apart along ethnic lines or religious lines, I think she actually played this really well. She brought the nation together in its darkest hour. Um, you might say that other prime ministers would have done the same, but I think she did this actually really well. So give her credit where it's due. Um, on everything else, I think it's a different story. And if you ask me now, looking at the gender of the incoming government, I'm not even sure whether there will be anything of an Ardern legacy because this government is so comprehensively undoing everything instituted by Ardern. I think in a year or two, um, we will probably not see any remnants left of that previous Labour administration. A conversation we had before the election, uh, you said that you hoped at least for a strong government because there's so much to do. But it seems, you know, based on the fact that it is a coalition to, uh, with two other partners, on the surface it looks like, you know, he may have trouble just holding the government together. But you seem a little bit more confident than that. You think that there is a real chance of some winding back of the Labor initiatives? I think there is a very strong chance of that. Uh, you just have to read through the documents. That's what the parties agreed, and that's what they now have to play by, because otherwise the coalition is over. So for the next three years, expect government going completely in the opposite direction of Ardern. This is probably the most right-wing government that New Zealand has had for decades. So don't make any mistakes about this. This will completely change the way that New Zealand was, is, is governed. So a complete move from the most progressive government you've seen to the most uh, conservative government, in other words. It is a 180 degree turn. And the thing that really surprises me as an economist here, I mean, typically what happens when government gets, gets, kicked, gets, gets, kicked, gets kicked out and a new government takes over, what happens is, um, okay, uh, the opposition previously campaigned against some of the policies, but then keeps them anyway, because undoing them is too hard. You've probably seen this before with changes of government. Um, this is not what's happening now. Actually, only yesterday, Christopher Luxon came out with a 49-point plan for the first 100 days, and it basically captures everything of significance that Labour ever did. And so all of this will be gone. They are uninstalling everything, even when it's maybe unpopular, like the smoke-free legislation. So New Zealand, of course, was a trailblazer when it comes to actually um, reducing smoking rates. Um, they instituted a law just about a year ago where people born after a certain date would never ever be legally allowed to purchase cigarettes in this country, that's gone. So the anti-smoking um, lobbyists, of course, are now crying foul over this and say, well, you're sacrificing lives. The opposition Maori party is accusing the government of leading a genocide against Maori, believe it or not, because smoking is particularly strong among the Maori community here. And yet the government's doing it anyway because they say this is bad policy. And so they're going for bad policies, even where abolishing bad policy is unpopular. This is something I've never seen before, really, as an economist. So this is a completely novel approach. And actually, it's encouraging to see such bold steps to correct previous policy mistakes. And there's one other thing that I find really encouraging looking at it. 
And that's the principles of policymaking. So when you actually boil down what was wrong with the last government, it was that they simply didn't act according to the basic principles of good policymaking. There was never a proper problem definition. There was never a proper cost-benefit analysis. There was never ongoing monitoring and evaluation of policies. And I think that explains why this past government failed and why it's done so much damage. But you look into the coalition agreements and what you see now is actually that all parties, including the rather populist New Zealand First, now commit themselves to problem definition, rigorous cost-benefit analysis and evaluation. And, and as an economist, you look at well, these are your principles and you write them into your agreements and you really want to be bound by them. I mean, hallelujah. This is just a completely new approach for New Zealand. Uh, you look, you follow Europe closely as well, of course, Oliver. Uh, do, and we've seen what's happened in, in Holland recently with Gert Wilders. Uh, I hesitate to draw, you know, sort of global picture uh, just around what's happening in New Zealand. But have we perhaps, is this perhaps peak woke we've just hit? Well, at least for New Zealand, it certainly was. Um, we are uninstalling anything woke in New Zealand. And after the last six years, that's a good thing too. Terrific. I think we'll all be able to visit you soon. But look, thank you again, Oliver. Good to see you uh, in such an optimistic mood after the last six years. So uh, we, we look forward well, to... Well, uh, it doesn't happen that often that you find an optimistic economist, but here I am. <laughs> Terrific. OK, well, look forward to you joining us again soon on ADH-TV. Me too. Thank you very much. Well, that brings us to the end of a very busy day here in Sydney with the largest anti-renewable rally ever seen in this state, I believe. It's just building this movement. The people are getting together. They are angry, as you saw in that video, and they are determined to stop the ruination of our country by Chris Bowen and his mad scheme. So if you're watching Chris, take note of this. Social licence, if you ever had it, is disappearing fast. Thanks to all the team at ADH TV. Thank you for watching, and we'll play you out with more from the wonderful Eleanor Parry. We made this little song to raise some awareness. Fabulous being here. Thank you for having me, Sydney. This is our paradise and they're putting up big power lines With towers and cables and a whole lot of